All right, welcome back to round two of our first ever game of Black Lodge, White Lodge. Super excited Ooh. to keep this game going. We are down to four players. What's gonna happen this round, Melz? What's gonna happen? <sighs> I don't know. Maybe the wheel will tell us, eh? Let's ask the wheel. Okay. Also, did wheel? you just say A like you're Canadian? I did. I'm so I proud did. of you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was slipping it in there. No, so. I liked it. I liked it. A Canadian <laughs> is always gonna recognize an A, okay? <laughs> I love it. Should okay. we, for our non-video people, should we recap who is left in this game of Black Lodge, White Lodge? Yes, that's a good idea. Okay, so in the previous round, we did lose Dolly. Um, Ugh, Dolly. She, Come back soon. Yeah. She, you know, Dolly was called making deals and, and it didn't work out, but that's okay. Dolly's going to come back and try again. The thing about the lodge is you can enter anytime you want. But you can never leave. Well, I know. I was in this game. <laughs> I was going to do it, and then I was like, does it work? Okay, but I like it. I like it. So now we are advancing on with Alex, Michael, Dylan Bush, and Blue. So may Woo. the lodge be with you, friends. <laughs> Let's go. Spin number one. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Ooh, okay. Blue. Blue. All right. The arm decides it's time for a dance. You slip away while he's not looking and move on to the next round. Way to go, Blue. Way to go, Blue. All righty. Magic wheel, what do you have? Spin, 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 where it stops, nobody Ooh. knows. Close. Oof, oof, oof. Hey, Dylan Bush, Close all one. right. Someone asks, is it future or is it past? You give them the right answer. A casual shoulder shrug and move right on to the next round. All right, Dylan. All right, okay. down to two players, two players. Oh. Here we go. All right, Michael, Alex. It's a nail biter, you guys. Oh my goodness. Oof. If I keep biting, I'm gonna find that letter under there that Bob left and... Ooh. Alex! All right, Alex. You put some dirt on your face to blend in with the spirits in the convenience store. The disguise works and you manage to gain some intel for your journey. So you're on to the next round. Way to go, Alex. Way to go, Alex. Yes. Okay. Oh, Michael. Mike. Oh, Michael. Okay, Michael. I Listen. Weirdly, you enjoy the taste of the sludgy coffee the arm offered you, but one sip traps your soul forever. So, darn. Better luck next time. Better luck next hey. time, Michael. Thank you for playing. Yeah. Do come back. We will put out more calls for names in the future. And even if you've played once, you can play again. We want we want repeat offenders around here, so. Yes, yes we do. All right, so that's okay. it for this week's Black Lodge, White Lodge. Stay tuned for the next round next week. Yay! Hold on, let's see, I have a cheering. 
my hat of cheering. <laughs> a little delay, but better late than never. Yay! Right. All yes. right. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Slicing and dicing my way out of Shelly's kitchen, I'm Jasmine. And frantically trying to figure out what Nadine did to Mike, I'm Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week, we're recapping the wonderful and strange journey of season two. Listeners, we've driven with a dead girl, taken a wild ride with James, been jet-setting with John John and Audrey, and gone on one hell of a trip through the Black Lodge, and it's all come down to this. Now let's rock. sad by Lynn. I can't believe we're recapping <laughs> season two. Also, I can't believe because I, I know we don't normally math here at Damn Fine. Correct. But I did some just uh, like quick hand math and we've been like it was six months of season two. No. Like, I didn't, yeah, like I think of May 7th was our first episode drop Onto platforms for season Whoa. two, episode one, May 7th, I believe. So I know we took, we had over the summer, we had like the two weeks here and, you know, yeah. there or whatever. But yeah, like it's, <laughs> I did. That's but so then also, funny. I mean, 52 divided by two is 26. <laughs> That's only four Stop episodes it. more. Stop it. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Hold on. Hold on. Terrifying. Okay, that's, That's woo. But it makes sense. Yeah. That's like half a year for sure. Yeah. 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 And wow. here we are. I know. Well, <laughs> you said I can't believe we're recapping season two. And I was going to say I can't believe it either because originally it was not in our schedule to do a season two recap. And then I was like, should we be doing one? Because we did one for season one. So I thought maybe I would put it out there to the Instagram followers and everyone voted for a season two recap before moving into fire walk with me. So I hope you're listening because the season one recap didn't have as many downloads as the regular episodes. So I don't know. I don't know why you guys voted for it, but here we are. Here we are. (laughs) But I think it's going to be a fun show. I think we've got some fun categories to go through. We're going to chat about some of our favorite moments and overall aspects from the season our least favorite storylines, some of the characters and storylines that we think might be underrated, our fave locations, something we'd change about season two. Uh, We've got something that I just randomly called Lodge Talk, which was very confusing in the back end. That's a story for another time. But uh, basically just a little bit of sort of leftover chit chatter from the finale coverage. And then we've got a good deal of listener feedback to get into as well. So, yeah, I think we've got a a fun, packed show. We should dive in. So, Melz, what's top in your list for top five moments? It was really difficult to pick like five moments. So I have them like one, two, three, four, five, but not one is any more significant to me than the other. Right. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense. So I know I yeah, set that and, up weird for you. I was like, what's topping your list? But I don't think they're in any particular order. 
No, no, and that's okay. So we'll start off with number one. I'm pretty sure you probably have this as well, um, which I'm also curious to see if we'll have the same thing. Yes. But I have Leland's reveal as Laura's killer and the mm. unwilling inhabitant of Bob. The reason I picked it, well, obviously because that is a pivotal point of like what we're watching the show for, A. But I also couldn't help but add a little nostalgia into that to when I was watching it for the first time around and how I couldn't believe that we were getting to that point and we were there. So I was like, this is, I mean, I think it's probably a no brainer that that's going to be a top five revelation in the Twin Peaks world. But even the second time around, it was still just as scary. And I still had the same like emotions, you know, even though I knew it was coming. So I had to put that on my list. Yeah. Well, so I don't have Leland's reveal, but I do have the murder of Maddie Ferguson, which I mean okay. is a very similar kind of pick, right? But yeah. I have it in tandem with everyone being so overwhelmed and kind of emotional at the roadhouse. I mean, first of all, Maddie's murder is just like a beautiful and haunting sequence. I do typically describe it as like a demented ballet or demented sort of dance, which is not to like romanticize what's happening, but just sort of emphasize like how methodical and careful and planned out that whole sequence was. And it has like a choreography to it that I don't think I've ever seen in another, like, you know, we say this about Twin Peaks all the time. Like we just don't see stuff like this in other shows, right? But yeah, the very deliberate and precise movements that happen in that scene. And then the roadhouse that's happening at the same time, like it's starting to establish this connection between everybody in Twin Peaks, whether they kind of realize it or not. And it's one of those moments that really sort of underscores the magic that's running really deeply through the town. So and I I like this idea of like collective grieving, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, next I have the introduction of Denise and the importance of including her character Mm. at this point in time on television. Obviously, y'all have been listening to our coverage. Mm. I love Denise, everything about her. Oh, God, I didn't think I could do it, but I loved her even more the second time around. (laughs) But it was so culturally significant as well for this time period. And so, really, if you kind of... I want to say scroll back, like scroll back now. No, (laughs) I think if you like pull the lens back, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just look at it as it is the introduction of one of Cooper's co-workers that's coming in to help him, you know, in the plot, that's fine. But it's it's Denise herself and like I said, the the significance of Lynch, like and and everyone putting this in the early 90s on TV and not, and I think we talked about, there There were some things that probably could have been done better, but it was not a misstep. Sure. And that's why it's one of my top moments is you're just not expecting it. But at the same time, it, you just fall in love with Denise and, and she teaches you so much and just the l- l- small amount of dialogue she really does have talking about now be you know identifying as female yeah. versus male so well and something so i think good. that we really zeroed in on this time that i don't know had such an impact on me in previous rewatches was the impact that she has on audrey horn uh yeah. and her character moving forward and so i think that that's even more incredible 
that it would be yeah, a character absolutely. like Denise to have an impact on somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, next up for me is Major Briggs's dream and his heart to heart with Bobby at the double R. You're laughing like you got this next on your list or something. <laughs> it is absolutely the exact same plate, like number three. Uh, well, it mine, is it. It's my well, number one, but I just oh, I, okay. I went into the stuff about Maddie because it just felt more okay. organic <laughs> in that spot. But no, this was at the top of my list. And yes. to be fair, I was just trying to go actually in chronological order just to because there I didn't want to put okay. it in any order. Like I didn't want to pick favorites. So but yeah, so <laughs> that moment at the double R when Major Briggs is having that heart to heart with Bobby, it is such a beautiful character moment. I think it's one of the most beautiful character moments that we get in all of Twin Peaks. It's just, it's full of so much love and genuineness and kindness. I don't know. It's just so beautiful. But I think it also does a lot for the story kind of overall, like the importance of dreams within Twin Peaks. Uh, It's the beginning of a new direction for Bobby. It's also kind of the shadow in a way of all of the evil that men do in Twin Peaks, specifically when we're talking about father figures and patriarchal figures, like Major Briggs is the is the White Lodge of those things, I guess, right? And yeah. I think like my new theory now is that I'm sure we could go back to season one and see some moments in there that were full of pure love as well. But, you know, in season two, we talked so often about like the, the double R having this like heart filter or this like Vaseline filter over it or whatever. And it just, it being this place of like kind of over dramatic love. And I, I think that whatever Riggs said to his son that day was like what infused the double R with some of that magic. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't even have to, the only thing I added to that was I still want to cry thinking of it. It's but- so sweet. And I think the first time around, not that I dismissed it, but because I was binging it so, like, ugh, I was consuming this in such a crazy, like, time span. Yeah. I probably didn't give it as much thought or realize the importance of it at that time as I did the second time around. But just everything that Major Briggs, uh, and and, I mean, I won't spoil, obviously, we'll get to the return, you know, later. But so soon. That was... But that was also the moment, too, I think he had to get there because he was, like, still a kid, basically. Talk about Bobby. Mm -hmm. But when you see him 25 years later, uh, what kind of shapes him into who he becomes, I like to think that this was that pivotal moment in his life where all of his dad's goodness and, and wholesomeness was, like, infused in him. He just had to find his way to becoming that. So, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So Chills good. every time. All right. So next up for me is the title that I put here is just Mrs. Tremans, as in like Mrs. Tremans plural, right? So that moment when Donna takes Cooper back to that house to meet the Mrs. Treman that she met during the Meals on Wheels delivery, and it is just a completely different woman living there with the same name, uh, but a completely different like design to the apartment. Like just, I don't know, 20 years younger than the Mrs. Treman that she meant. No understanding of who that older Mrs. Treman might be. No grandson or son in the picture. Like just no understanding of what Donna is even talking about, right? That has just always stuck with me. Even when I've forgotten 
what is even happening in that Meals on Wheels plot, the discovery of there being a different woman living there is so creepy and unsettling. It's so mysterious. It adds to the magic and the evil that runs through Twin Peaks. And it's just, it's such a fantastic moment. Absolutely. I agree. Well, mine is a tad bit different. Um, <laughs> and now I feel like it's a bit superficial just because I no. wanted to put this in there. But I felt that this is very significant because so basically Albert's change of heart with Harry. Oh, how could that be superficial? So well, beautiful. because you know, I love Albert. Yeah. So I was like, let me squeeze something in here about the man I love so much. Um, Albert, up until that point, had just been like, you know, I mean, like, let's think about when he went just across the hallway to get the cup of coffee. Just everything was just so... Across the hallway. Uh, right, but they were in the different room, you mm -hmm. know, excusing themselves. But anyway, like, that moment with Harry, Albert was being super vulnerable. And I think even after that, we still see, like, Albert being a hard ass with Cooper, like, when mm -hmm. he comes back into town to talk about, like, jo you know, Josie and all that stuff. But it's, it, there's still this um, newfound, or maybe to us, because he had such that hard exterior up, of gentleness. Um, because I felt like even when he was talking to Cooper about breaking it to Harry about Josie, and now I'm kind of putting a couple of things together here, but I still felt the tone and the way that Albert was talking with Cooper was a little bit um, softer than totally. what we saw would have seen if this moment had not ever taken place. Um, and it also really gives me like that line, which I know is I, is part of a speech, but like the foundation of such a method is love, you know? And it's like, how could that come out of Albert's mouth? But you really see Albert in this whole different light after that. And it's like Harry and Twin Peaks and there's there's a weird dark magic, but there's a light loving yes. magic in Twin Peaks as well. So it's almost like if Albert had never met Harry, would he have had this breakdown like maybe within himself where he was like, I don't have to be such a hard ass. Mm. That might be me reaching but that's how I view Albert after that moment. So, no, I and really. Albert's so, like, he's, again, not to spoil because we don't see a lot, but he's so important to this yeah. story that this moment, it's kind of like with Bobby. I think it's like this moment was the turning point of us seeing a totally different Albert, but it might have just taken him a little time to. To get used to being warm and fuzzy. Right. <laughs> yes. So. Well, I'm so glad that you said that because you talking about Albert's, the, like the sort of softening, the more vulnerable side, I was instantly comparing it with that part to heart between Bobby and Major Briggs. I mean, there's something, yeah, about there is a huge evilness. There is an evil that runs through this town, but there's also these like, I don't know why, but the word crusaders just keeps coming to me. But there's like these crusaders of lightness and love. And I think love is the key word. And anytime we hear people talk about that genuine love, that's not necessarily from a romantic place, but from just um, that place that love just a comes from, place. from a heart. From, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that they're really important to the story. Yeah. Okay. Next up for me is 
all of the horror elements that we get in the Bobby, Shelley, and Leo storyline. And I am kind of thinking specifically about the events in Double Play, but I think we get bits and pieces of that throughout the sort of triangle between those three people. And I mean, definitely between like Bobby and, or sorry, uh, Leo and Shelley. But yeah, in that episode, I mean, like all the slasher vibes that we get in that sequence while like Leo is stalking Shelley around their house and he sends the wheelchair sort of like it looks like the wheelchair is moving on its own. And then um, the slicing and dicing through the plastic where the windows should be. Bobby showing up to, you know, we think he's going to save the day, but then Shelly pulls this total final girl thing on him and she saves the day. The music, the red lighting. I mean, that is just one of the best sequences. And it's one of the ones that sticks out to me. And, and I can say like, this is within the horror genre firmly. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I kind of cheated a little bit for my last one. Uh-oh. I don't call it a cheat. I know. I know. I don't call it a cheat because I... We talked about it a little bit earlier. We talked about Denise, but basically just Audrey Horn in season two mm-hmm. altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to pick out a specific moment because I, I the arc for this character just became so great and bittersweet because we lost her at the end, which I think is total bullshit. Yeah. But like, I can't pick out one specific moment of Audrey's badassness to highlight here But just from when we open up, right, with Audrey helpless at One-Eyed Jacks and and learning the truth about her father, she still was very, you know. And then look at at all that she did in this short amount of time, really, but 22 episodes. I mean, just to become this confident, strong, like, woman and, and female figure in this story, I... I loved Audrey in season one, but it just got kicked up like a thousand percent in season two. Totally. So everything Audrey, you know, uh, in in season five or five. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm so excited. Well, breaking news, everyone. No, I was looking at number five. (laughs) We have exclusive news. Mel's has let it out of the bag, but we know season five is coming, which means, yes, season four is also coming. (laughs) I just skipped season four and I wrote season five, okay? There. You know my secrets. My dirty little secrets. Well, I think that's kind of nice uh, of you because you're still giving room to, like, Mark Frost and David Lynch to write season four, but you're like, listen, I'm going to be ready with season five so we don't have to wait so fucking long. Yeah, it's in the bag. When you're ready, shoot me a DM, Lynch and Frost. I know you're listening. Um, and then you I'll, guys will I'll, probably I'll just chat over. after your threesome. It's no big deal. Oh, that's right. I forgot <laughs> about our threesome. <gasps> How could I? Well, I must have been on that eu- euphoric high. Mm-hmm. But anyway, no. In season two, all of Audrey in season two. <laughs> so. <laughs> No, I think that's great. Audrey in season two is fantastic. She has one of the most incredible arcs of any of the characters, really. So Absolutely. Not a cheat in my books. Oh, yay. Well, so my... Uh, my season five or my my fifth <laughs> point, my fifth pick is just everything from the Red Room slash Black Lodge in the finale. I know we've already talked about that a lot, obviously, in our finale coverage, but it's just a 
um, and like it's an amazing sequence. Um, like I said on that episode, it's part of what sets Twin Peaks apart from anything else. It's truly so one of a kind. The bizarre like mind fuck of it all is like nothing else that I've ever seen. It's truly so fascinating. And I think it's the kind of thing you can watch over and over and over again and always pick up on something new or see the events unfold in a different way, connect things in a different way. Like I'm just thinking about the whole conversation we had about was Wyndham Earl part of Coop's like doppelganger? I would have, that's something I've never seen before, never picked up on before. And yet it was such a big part of our conversation this time around. So it has, it just has such a value to it that I think a lot of TV just doesn't have. Like to be able to just watch those parts from an episode and get so much from it every single time, like shows like that are few and far between still. And this is like 30 Absolutely. years later. So. For sure. Can you believe I didn't even put a Nadine moment in my top I five? actually am really surprised by that. <laughs> I'm wondering not, if she's going to come up somehow later. But Well, not really. And I'm going to no. tell you why. Obviously, Nadine is my all-time favorite. I relate to her the most, yada, yada, yada. But I was very even on the Nadine things. Um, they weren't high points, but they weren't low points for me. They oh, were okay. gotcha. parts that I got some sort of relief uh, from when we talk about the horror or we talk about things like that. Then you have silly old Nadine in high school. You know what I mean? So I love those moments, but it's really hard for me to say they were high or low points hmm. because I feel like they were just those parts of season two that grounded me from being super, super scared or, like, super, super bored with some things, you gotcha. know? So. so there's, like, some comfort that you find in Nadine's storyline. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, next up, we're going to do least favorite storylines. If you want to dive in first, go sure. for it. First one is Civil War. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Correct. No matter what. I, even though we talked through, we had some really good points we about. We did. We had good discussions. The, yes, we really did. It did not change no. my mind on how much I hate this storyline. No. So uh, second one was Vivian. Like I was uh -huh. never sure. It was great to see some story, back, some more backstory from Norma. What did it really give us, though, other than mm. she has a, an asshole mom, which I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. Um, yeah. But it didn't really, like, I was never interested in the food critic. I was not really interested that the reveal was her mother. Like, I say I've, I have fuck Vivian, basically. Um, yeah. It, you know, it was just like, it, it just was never something that I can sit in bed when I'm not sleeping and recall and really think upon Vivian much. You know no, what I mean? Like no. So forgettable. She did give us Ernie, but <laughs> uh, that's not enough for me to say it was a favorite. So. Yeah, no. Well, so one of mine is the Civil War, for sure. Um, and the other one is Mr. Tajimura. So these two, and I picked these two because they kind of bother me in the same ways. At the core of those ideas, like, there's something good there. This idea of, like, both of them trying to sort of find their way back to their identities, like, in obviously very different ways, but, you know, with Catherine, her sort of exploring, we touched on this very briefly, but her exploring this kind of, like, glamour and this, like, identity witch and this, like, you know, that kind of, like, mm -hmm. mystical, magical side of her. And then we've got Ben, who 
basically has a mental breakdown or is having some sort of like existential crisis. I don't know. And he goes through this like internal odyssey. Like both of those things could have been really fun, really incredible, could have added to the magical elements within Twin Peaks. But you put the lens of yellow face and fucking civil war racism over that and it just becomes cringe. So the way that they're both executed are frustrating and disappointing because at the, like I said, at the heart of them, there's something so fascinating and something that, again, could have just been, could have really elevated season two, honestly, but they just become cringy because of the way that they're brought to life. But I did want to say that like, while I was thinking about these like two people sort of journeying through themselves in a way to kind of like come back to themselves it started making me think about International Assassin from The Leftovers. And I think that we can't draw a straight line between those characters and that episode, but there's like a, there's a zigzaggy path that gets us from Twin Peaks to that for sure. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I'm going to be honest with you. Taja Mara didn't even pop up in my head. And Mm -hmm. I think it's simply (laughs) because I just block that shit out. Yeah, I I mean, mean, fair. As much dialogue as we put around trying to figure out the the true meaning of it or what we're supposed to get out of it it's just wrapped in so much cringe that it's just like ugh. okay well what do you what do you what do you've got what do you've got tell me what you've got there for underrated storyline or character yes what do you have this may be controversial (gasps) yeah brave brave yeah Because I think a lot of people will argue, what are you talking about? There was nothing underrated about any of this. However, I have to speak from my personal experience because, again, not until a second rewatch did I come to appreciate what was happening here. But it is, it's Harold. You two? That's, yeah, I have two and he's one of them. Oh, okay. I just, not until I sat with it, did I really get those strong feelings of this mentally unstable person really being like uh, manipulated and bullied by a high school girl who thought she was doing something good to his detriment. And it just, I just feel like it actually had so much more significance, but honestly, did it, was that significant shown to us, especially when it comes to Donna? No, I don't think so. But I do think after everything that happened with Harold, we do see a slight subtle shift in Donna as well. Hmm. But it's just not as pointed out to me as like when I was talking about Albert earlier, you know? So yeah. because I do think, you know, obviously Donna and James and, and Maddie, they're very sorry for what happened with Harold. But uh I just don't think we understand or realize maybe this, or I didn't, let's put it that way. For me, the significance of this friendship relationship with Harold and maybe the message that we were really supposed to get out Mm -hmm. of it, which was, you know, like we can't be meddling. We can't force somebody to do something they're not ready for. And if you do something like that, you have to face and, and deal with the consequences of those actions. So... Totally. He gets underrated and overlooked because people see the hand washing thing and the angrily spritzing the orchids. And like, yeah, I think what people should dislike him for is that he's getting way too close to an underage girl. That Mm -hmm. should be the creepy part of him. But we just don't get to spend enough time with this guy. And I think I my pick for him is underrated was almost like 
on, I'm almost like saying this to the people responsible for the show, like you underrated him and didn't give us enough time with him. He was a trusted person by Laura Palmer. He has the secret diary of Laura Palmer because Laura gave it to him and Laura trusted him with those secrets. And that makes him important. That makes him really important. And I think that's why he always comes back around and especially this time as being kind of not a central figure, but certainly more important than I think people give him credit for, for sure. I don't think that he's made like to be the butt of a joke with Laura, excuse me, not Laura, um, Donna and Maddie and James, but they're so young that they don't understand the complexity of someone with this, you know, I I don't, I mean, I don't even know if I would call it a disability as much as like how, how their mind is wired, you know, and these things about that person. And like I said, the consequences to your actions. So, and I think he does, I mean, he gets some quote unquote funny things to do. Like the garden trowel thing on his face is funny, but it's funny because the props department kind of screwed up and already had blood on it. And it's like, (laughs) nobody Nobody does that. Like, that's a funny <laughs> thing to do. But the the line reading of, are you looking for secrets? That's funny. But I mean, w- Twin Peaks is funny. Twin Peaks can be really funny. So I don't see an issue with him getting those, you know, <laughs> sort of more darker comedic moments. But sure, sure. Sort yeah. of like along with Harold, I just put the Meals on Wheels plot in general. I, I just I've already talked about the Tremens being fascinating to me. But I also just really like that set, like this apartment complex or whatever. It feels tropical. And it's not just the new younger Mrs. Treeman's like uh, apartment design, like all of her wallpaper that feels really tropical, but it's like hearing the crickets and the frogs and all of the lush greenery that's in there. And it feels almost like a pocket dimension within Twin Peaks where it's just like always beach weather. And that to me Mm -hmm. feels so on par with the weirdness of Twin Peaks. So I just kind of love that whole thing in general. And then my other one, I mean, you know I got to bring up my boy Jean Renault. You know I got to oh, bring yeah. him up. I mean, I don't <sighs> know that he's like the most underrated thing about this. Sh- I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't hear people talk about him the way that we talked about him maybe. Mm-hmm. I I don't think he gets shit on, but I don't think he gets the love that he deserves, I guess. He's just like, he's so, he's such a great antagonist. Like he's so soft-spoken and so charismatic and yet so violent and terrifying. I mean, I think that juxtaposition makes him so creepy, crawly, get under your skin, terrifying. Like, I I think that's what I like about a villain in general. We talked about this with Wyndham Earl. I love the fact that you know that he will kill somebody, but he will also hop around in a onesie while meowing. Like, I love (laughs) that weird duality about a villain. It makes them... It makes them terrifying because it's so utterly whacked out. But Jean Reno is way scarier than Wyndham Earl. And I don't think people comment on that enough. Wyndham's unpredictability and his um, flair for theatrics makes him scary because you just don't quite know what he's going to pull well, out of his Whose face hat? is he going to wear tomorrow? Like today right? he's wearing the log lady's face, but who will he be tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. But see, it wasn't like that with Jean because you, I mean, it was pretty upfront. Like he was not wearing disguises. He was basically like, I'm the bad ass in town and mm-hmm. you need to be afraid of me. And he was very upfront with letting you know, you know, hey, 
you should fear me. And we did. But at the same time, he made you want to love him just because of the way that he approached things. Because like I said, he's so soft-spoken. He's so charismatic. He has this like, he's so slimy, but you're like, yeah, dude, like bring that slime over here. Like, I don't know, it just works for him. And that final monologue that he has telling Cooper that he is the one that brought the nightmare, I think that's an essential piece of the Twin Peaks puzzle. Agree. It's a pity that his brother Jacques could not get one ounce of that charismatic uh, <laughs> like personality. None. He got like Zero. negative. Like Jean he took it t- all in the womb yeah. and then there was none left for Jacques. <laughs> there were no charismatic genes left in that poor bearer of these children. Unfortunately, we didn't get to know the other one. I for- even forget his name. I'm sure it started with a J. But nonetheless. Bern- um, Bernard? Oh, it's Bernard. That's right. I think Very it's Bernard. Good. Yeah. That was a pop quiz. Okay. I was just testing Jasmine, everyone. I, I knew. It. Yeah, I knew it was Bernard. Totally. <laughs> Poor Mama Renault. Woo. She she birthed a real turd and then, I mean, a charismatic turd. So a you lot know, of there turds. It, is. it was just yeah. rabbit turd after rabbit turd after rabbit turd. That's the balance of the universe. If you're going to have two turds, one's got to be charismatic. <laughs> <at> <laughs> What is up next? Okay, favorite locations. What do you got? Okay, honestly, I could, I just kept going back to this one setting because it felt so saturated in the story and it's the woods. It's just Mm. everything that happens in the woods. Mm -hmm. You have, obviously, I mean, this is kind of blending season one into season two, but we know about Lara, right? And, and, And the cabin and everything in the woods there. But when we get into season two... You know, Margaret's out there with, with her husband's passed away, but you you have Wyndham, you have everything that happens in the lodge, you have Major coming out of the woods, you have yeah. it just there's so much that happens in the woods, and we've talked about the woods being like its own character mm-hmm. in the show. Just like in Sex and the City, where New York is the fifth uh, character. I yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> um but no, I mean like the time spent in the woods was where I was most intrigued and apprehensive and involved in what was happening in those moments during season two. So, I mean, that was like like the only thing that just kept coming to me. I wanted to, there were so many things I wanted to say, but I I just could not pick anything other than the woods. Yeah. There's some really big moments too. Like, I mean, no matter how often we might see it, but just like, the stuff with Major Briggs when he meets that horse or just like just Harry sitting on the tree stump waiting for Coop. Like, I mean, that's that's huge. Also, Al Cave. I mean, we don't even have to like we know that's in the woods or Leo stumbling through the woods. I mean, like there was just so so much tension moments and things like that centered around the woods that that's just my favorite place to be in Twin Peaks is in the woods. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so my first pick for locations is the double R. I definitely had not seen all of its magic until this rewatch. And obviously we mentioned it a little bit in the discussion of the scene with Garland and Bobby. But it is such a place for love and romance and healing and the gathering of secret societies. And 
I kind of feel like, you know, like I said, a major story about that dream really kind of started to infuse it with this magical love stuff. But I also kind of wonder, like, maybe Norma's cherry pie and her coffee have some sort of magical love to it as well. And it's just like people in Twin Peaks are consuming this love. And it's just a place for the Vaseline and the hearts and the pretty birds singing their songs. And it's just such a quaint little special place. The double R is the first time we saw Toad. Let's I mean, not just act like that just came out of there nowhere. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then my other one is the Roadhouse. Like just this ever-changing space. It's a shapeshifter. It's the room of requirement in Harry Potter. It's whatever you need it to be. It's a bridge between worlds, a liminal space that connects two dimensions or realities. I've just been loving watching it be everything that anybody needs at any moment. Yeah. A courthouse, yeah. like <laughs> a place to- Beauty pageant. Sure. A place for a beauty pageant, a place where an FBI agent can bring all of the suspects and figure out what, figure out who the murderer is. Like it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Not to mention a cool dance, dance hall. Correct. Okay. I mean, you have great also, performances there. Hello. That is when Bobby finds out what Nadine's been doing to Mike. Right. Another secret Lynch will take to the grave, Ugh. I suppose. What did Mike whisper? <sighs> we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So up next, one thing or one aspect you'd change about season two. Yeah, this is going to be a no-brainer, but I would not have had Audrey at the bank at the end of it. Ooh, good pick. Would never, Hmm. would not have happened. Audrey would, I don't know what Audrey would have done. I would not have had her jet setting into the the horizon with Mm -hmm. John John, but it is so disappointing that- It's 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 disappointing and it pisses me off on various levels. And I need to talk this. I need to talk about this because I didn't get this fully out when we talked about this episode. Right. It pisses me off that she's at the bank when they're when it is blown up. Simply because she is trying to make a stand for her father's exploitation of, you know, whatever it is that Ben's trying to do with save the environment. We all know it's a bunch of bullshit. And it just pisses me off that it was at the stake of Audrey's life. You know, that's why she should have never been there. She had no business being there. It it was just that. And it pisses me off, damn it. Okay, yeah. like it makes me so mad. So one thing I would change, um, maybe we just don't know what happens. To, maybe hmm. we just don't see Audrey again. Right. I would be fine with that versus her being chained to the bank vault and then it exploding. It is. Ugh. I mean, we said this in the episode. It's a really tough ending for that character. Yes. Yeah. There's like, there's, <laughs> it definitely bums me out. And I don't know how else to, I, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, perhaps I could have picked better things. Like I would have eliminated Civil War and Yellowface, but I'm sorry. I would not have had no, Audrey no. blown up at the end. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally understand that choice. And even when I was like, writing down this idea I was like I don't know like I don't know that we would actually change anything if we're if we're actually given the opportunity to change something like would we because then it still it wouldn't be Twin Peaks that we know I I don't know if we actually would well at 
At this point, 30 years later, at this like, point, yeah, at, well, I mean, if we were no, still in the writer's I, room. If we were still I, in the writer's room, like we were there. True. Because <laughs> we were there. And thank spirit. you so much. No, where we're at in the story on this date in Twin Peaks history, I would 100% do this without like okay. I would blink it away. Yeah, no, but I know what you're saying. Like, do we, would it, no, it wouldn't be Twin Peaks if you get a character that has a happily ever after, quote unquote, which is why it's very strange to see the the end with Shelly and Bobby. And it's just like the beginning all over again, you know, like mm-hmm. it was very strange yes. to see that. So, right. It wouldn't yeah. be Twin Peaks if I rewrote Audrey to have not been there at that time. However, I would have done. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's the little bit of fan service that I would have given myself is I just would. Let's just not ever see her again. All right. Let's yeah. just let's just I love let that her your fan service is like, just don't don't bring her back. Just don't. <laughs> just don't bring her back up. OK, leave her alone. Like she's yeah, had an amazing lovemaking session on a private chat. Let her go. Now, just the okay? last thing we know is that she went fishing with Pete, which is kind yes. of weird, but she seemed into it. So good for her. I mean, yeah. Although, no, then we would have never seen her in the red dress. Last thing we see of her is the red dress. That has to be. that's true. Because that's way too pretty to never see. But you're right. My favorite thing to do after sex is go fishing. So, Isn't it everyone's? Yeah, I think so. Are we alone in that? Spoiler alert. It is everyone's favorite thing to do. I mean. Poiscoidal. That's what I thought. Poiscoidal. (laughs) Poiscoidal. I mean, yeah, that's fair. I think, I don't think I would change anything if actually given the option. I mean. You cheated. No, no, no. I have an answer. I'm just, I'm just uh, saying like. I'm just teasing If I was anyway. legitimately given the option, I don't know that I could. That's true. But yeah. I don't even know how you would do this, but what I would want is more time spent with characters that are already established instead of introducing so many new characters and so many new mm-hmm. storylines. Like, Season two, we barely spend any time with people like Margaret, Sarah Palmer, Jerry Horn. I mean, even somebody like Hawk, who feels very central and feels very important, doesn't actually get that much to do. So that would be my overall change is just like forget all these superfluous stories and just like bring it back to the people we already know and love. Like the work's already done for you. They're already established. Build on that. Okay, now I'm thinking if I had to do a trade off, I would let Audrey get blown up in order to get more time with Hawk. I'm sorry I said it there. Controversial yet brave yet again. Or even one more tea and cookies with the log lady. Like, I mean, I feel like she had so much more to tell us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if I had to do a trade off, I would do that. So, okay. Well, we'll put that into the season three recap. What would you trade off? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll make it better. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So, last category here is lodge talk. And basically, like, I, when I was doing the editing of our season two finale, you had brought up this amazing idea of, and I touched on it earlier in this episode, of Wyndham maybe being some sort of sacrifice or being somehow part of Coop's doppelganger, which was something I had never considered. And I I think just like in our conversation, I basically just responded being like, oh, I've just always assumed that we just all have a doppelganger. And like, I kind of from that conversation knew like I wanted to go away, do more research, 
kind of figure out like, why did I have that assumption? Where is that coming from? And basically just learn more about the myth, the mythology of doppelgangers. So what I had, like this information is obviously in no way meant to like negate any of your theories about Wyndham or Coop's doppelganger. I mean, like all theories are (sighs) welcome, as you know. If you have to give it a disclaimer, then that means you're going to do just that. So (laughs) no, it means (laughs) it means that what I found is that like in the mythology, people like a thing is that it is said that we all have a doppelganger. So, but that that doesn't mean that that's how the lodge works. Like we don't have rule. We didn't get a fucking rule book for the Black Lodge. So who knows, right? But okay, so I thought it was so funny that I found this on this website, but this is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary website. This is like from the terminology and the mythology of the word doppelganger. But Mm -hmm. according to age-old German folklore, all living creatures have a spirit double who is invisible but identical to the living individual. These second selves are perceived as being distinct from ghosts, and sometimes they are described as the spiritual opposite or negative of their human counterparts. In 1796, German writer Johann Paul Richter coined the term or the word doppelganger, which comes from doppel, which means double, and ganger, meaning either goer or walker. So double goer, double walker, right? In order to refer to these sort of things that he had found within this old folklore, right? And a lot of the sources that I found when like doing research about doppelgangers basically will use the term evil twin sort of interchangeably, which totally makes sense and is workable within the world of Twin Peaks. And they discuss this idea that doppelgangers have an intent to replace their human counterpart, which definitely feels like an evil twin type of thing. Not this. I love it, right? And then the next thing I found, which is going back a few episodes, but Percy Shelley, who wrote Love's Philosophy, which is the poem that Wyndham sends out to Audrey, Donna, and Shelley, apparently it's kind of, it. like, I guess his wife spoke about this after his death, but he had told her that he had seen a double of himself shortly before he died. So that is a weird connection of, like, sort of like metatextual stuff because like I mean Percy Shelley they obviously I mean obviously Wyndham mentions him in the show but he's not like a figure in Twin Peaks right but anyways yeah. yeah so he has apparently or he had apparently seen his doppelganger shortly before his death and that was another thing that kept coming up in the research was that meeting your double was a sign that death was imminent but Mel's and I can tell you right now that that is not always the case because we have met our doppelganger and we're not dead not dead yet okay <laughs> Not yet, yet. (laughs) I love this, and I'm going to tell you why. I talked about how I prefer, and this is, I mean, um, we talked more in depth when we did our Patreon exclusive for Buffy Hush, but where we talked about grim fairy tales, right? And how Cinderella, and I I wish I had remembered this when we were doing that recording, but again, it's a a Patreon exclusive. So if you want to... Mm -hmm. Watch that. You may sign up at patreon.com slash TV. You will get instant access to that video. But what I wanted to say was the, the story of Cinderella, what we know of it today, the Disney version, if you will. Right. Is this this girl, you know, um, or this young woman, like, you know, meets her Prince Charming, blah, 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 blah. 
In the grim fairy tale of it, though, I mean, like, the sisters, try, they, they cut their toes off to try to get their uh, feet to fit into the shoe. <gasps> That's why I say, like, I, I'm so much more into For sure. the grim version, which is where these lighthearted Disney tales come mm-hmm. from. This also gives me huge, huge, huge outsider which we covered that too, if you go back in our, um, mm. yeah. But huge outsider vibes yeah. because even though I, I, I said this, whoa, wiggly, wiggly. Era. <laughs> Just call me Jason from The Good Place. Dolls. DJ music. No. <laughs> okay, wow. That was a total shortage <laughs> of like brain to mouth right there. Oh gosh, okay. I mentioned this a, a lot, I know, when we covered The Outsider, is that they barely scratched the surface of, of right. what is in the novel, the material mm-hmm. for that show. They did a great job of it because obviously they only had, it was a limited series. But what you have said, though, really makes me think about when they met in The Outsider, and I guess this is a spoiler, so if you don't want to hear this, tune out for a little bit. But there was death involved with this doppelganger oh my God, yeah. spirit. Uh-huh. That you meet and yeah. then they take over your life. Yeah. So I love this thought because how many times, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I was always told about doppelgangers, it was always in a lighthearted way. Like, oh, yeah, well, everybody's got a twin out there somewhere. Like the way that yeah. we joke about it where, yeah. Right, right. But do we ever stop to think that, and this is like a mm. pretty baseline for horror movies as well, is that, yeah, there's there is probably some other being. I like the fact that you said that it's a, it, it is a spirit or it's invisible because right. it's like this that will take your life. And I'm super, I might have nightmares thinking about Percy Shelley seeing this before dying. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it's so it, yeah, basic, but oh. like go to Wikipedia and just read the little excerpt of, I think it's Not Mary Shelley. Not yeah, basic, but I'm saying it is yeah, basic, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I mean, it's old English, so you have, I mean, I had to read it a few times to really let it digest, but it's really creepy the way that it's recounted this, like, seeing, and somebody else is said to have seen his double as well, and it's super creepy. Oh, my gosh. So, and it's so funny that you would bring up a a work of Stephen King, because the final thing that I found about doppelgangers or this idea of doubles and stuff was, in ancient Egypt, there was this idea of Ka, K-A, which yeah. is spirit doubles, which share your memories and your feelings. And they believed that a soul was made up of many parts, your ka or double being one of them. So that just made me think of Stephen King and the Dark Tower. It's not exactly a fit, but it there's some echoes there. So I've got chills. I love this. It's amazing. Like, I love the mythology around this. Yeah. I'm going to recommend a book. Mm. I'm going to recommend a book. It is a Stephen King book. Surprise. Okay. One of my all-time favorites, The Dark Half. This idea of the evil living with you and then taking over. I'm not going to say anything Ooh. else, but it's, it is very heavy okay. in that novel. Well, interesting that you should bring up a book recommendation because I was also about to say, should we mention the secret history of Twin Peaks right now? Because... Yeah. We're not going to cover the secret history because this is a podcast about television. Yeah, we're going to cover a movie. Get over it. Um, (laughs) But I think that from here on out, anything from the secret history 
will be fair game because technically the information that's presented in it comes before in whatever time space universe you want to make up for Twin Peaks, but it technically comes before the content in the return. Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. And I hope to, I actually, uh, Dark Half will be on my list, but I'm trying, I'm going to try to get into the secret history and at least have, you know, a bulk of it read before we dive into season three. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to yeah. try because it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a it's, good book, but it's, it's a haul. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's really dense. It's got so much in it. <laughs> I was about to say a lot of words. <laughs> yes. and it's, Which that's what books are, but <laughs> I know I could have used a few more pictures, but <laughs> it's very information heavy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of words in that book there. I don't know. So many, <laughs> like more than four a page. It's crazy. It's, it's above my reading level. I'm going to be honest with you. No. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, all that's left is the listener feedback. Yes. I guess what we'll do is we'll just go through our Instagram post comments first. Yeah. And then we'll get into any additional like DMs or emails that might have come in. Just to kind of spice things up a bit. So. All right. Well, um, our first comment on the Instagram post for feedback comes from Goth Peaks. We know it's crazy. We know it's silly. We get treated to one of the most stunning pieces of visual art as a finale. And once you've consumed everything Twin Peaks and have fallen deeply in love with the world, it becomes hard not to even love the awful shit season two had to offer. Crafty, crying, (laughs) laughing emoji. (laughs) Uh, Much love to Damn Fine TV. High five emoji. Yes, this is very true. I think uh, it, it pains me in some odd way that people take it so literal as to say, It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to, quote unquote, make literal sense to you because it is another place in the universe where this shit is going on that, again, we talked about consequences earlier, but the consequence of of seeking out this place and opening the lodge and and being at this Mm. place at this time is the evil comes out and it is visually stunning. Like, Goth Peaks got it right on the nose with that it yeah you watch the finale and with your mouth just hanging open (laughs) and you're just like what am i looking at but not in a bad way you're just like what is this is so beautiful you know like you're awestruck it's terrifying it is it's a terrifying beauty type if that even like makes sense it's yeah yeah, so yeah it's a great point though like once you've seen everything and you can kind of take it all into context it's like I still love the marshlands, you know, like whatever. I want to rewind, though, to you saying that that is a high five emoji. Is that how you see that emoji? Do you think that's two people high fiving? No, it's one person giving a double high five. Like they're going like, eh, raise the roof. Like, give it to, not raise the roof, but like, yeah, put her there. Two high fives, pal. Like, say by the (gasps) bell. Okay. I don't. What is it to you? I don't know. To me, it's just like, oh, thank you. Like. It's like phrasing. I don't know. We are very old and we need an emoji guide. One of the hardest things to digest is how to care for an elder millennial slash zennial, which is, I think we, we're we 
we're in this sphere of weirdness with our generation. But, you know, one thing was like, don't don't force it to part its hair, you know. But (laughs) another thing, another thing that it says caring for your elder millennial is also (laughs) don't tell it not to use the crying face emoji because apparently the the new generation, these youngsters, these these fucking thundercats rolling through nowadays are telling us that. This isn't me crying laughing. And I'm like, bullshit. This is crying laughing. What the fuck else does it mean? I have no clue. <laughs> what? There's no art. There's no there's no evidence to back up their claim. They're just saying the crying laughing is the one where the tears are coming down. And I'm like, no, that's somebody <gasps> actually crying. That's really crying. No, I I'm have just looked up crying out. laughing and I have three emojis on offer. It's the sideways one, the cat one, and the one that we're referring to. And I, I will let you know that I looked up high five, and that emoji came up. But I also looked up raise the, and that emo- emoji comes up. So it is double usage. It means both okay. things. I like <sighs> But can we just agree that the two wow. hands together is not prayers? Those two hands together is means a high thank five. thank you. Oh, to me it just means thank oh. you. Well, thank you. Or it's a high five to another person. So when I see people, I'm sorry. Yeah. This mean I mean no, oh, no disrespect it doesn't mean to anyone. To me. No, no, I mean anybody listening right now. If you choose to leave this in, I mean no disrespect. But when you're out there talking, giving that emoji to somebody who's died, you're basically high fiving the fact that the their doppelganger got them. <laughs> it does come up for high five. So. The, the quote-unquote prayer quote unquote, hands? Yes. And it comes up for thank you. Listen, we don't need a fucking emoji guide. We yeah, are the emoji yeah, guide. But, yes. Thank you. Okay. So you know what? Two snaps and a boop boop to you. Uh, crying or laughing uh, means you're crying laughing. And the, and the two hands together does not mean you are praying blessings upon no. somebody. So stop putting that on my so-and-so died If you've yesterday. ever gotten that for me and you thought I was praying for you, full <laughs> apologies, because I'm not. No, you've never done it. But anyway, this is so off topic. <laughs> but, um, I love the fact that we're more dissecting the emoji use here. But again, back to, Goth Peaks just says it perfectly. That I think you and I both agree Correct. with that. I yes. mean, yeah. yes. And thank right. you. Thank you, Goth Peaks. Maya Fernandez, 568 says listening to your podcast is a little piece of serotonin that i need in my everyday life oh thank so you sweet. that is so gosh it's so humbling really mm-hmm. i recently sat my cousin down to watch a random episode of twin peaks completely out of context episode 16 season two she was so completely confused it was hilarious to watch her reactions hard emoji <laughs> you guys are hilarious and I always listen to you while i do my wood burning art love oh, this oh that's perfect and, i mean a shout out to the wood burning art yeah. i i love that b i think from now on in life to anyone who has never watched Twin Peaks, we should first just sit them down and pick a rando episode for them mm-hmm. to watch. Yes. And just gauge the reaction from that. <laughs> I thought this was such a brilliant idea, and I followed up in a comment just to make sure that I understood. I was like, "Had your did you guys just pick a random episode together to watch, or had your cousin never seen anything before? And yeah, cousin had never seen anything before. What yes. a random experience. Love that. And thank you so much I for your it. kind words, Maya. Yes, Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Whoa. Red flag. I felt this said agent, whatever Albert's last name is. And I was really starting to sweat, but it is not. So (laughs) 
No, that's what Andy calls him. uh, That's right. Agent Rosenflower says, so much better than most people give it credit for. We all know the slumps. Parentheses, don't hurry back, James. You were never (laughs) cool in parentheses. But so much of the stuff we love came from season two, the giant especially, and Denise. Yeah. And that final episode. It's all worth it. The boredom makes the finale hit so much harder. The master returns to steady the ship. I love the way you've ended this uh, comment, too. It's so true. I mean, I think we probably talked about this at the beginning of season two or maybe throughout season two, but it's so easy to like remember all of those weird pitfalls throughout the season. But yeah, this is where the giant comes from. And this is where we get the reveal of Leland and all the weird stuff at the roadhouse and like the finale. I mean, there's so many great magical things. So thank you, Agent Rosenflower. Dracula's slut says Bobby and Audrey would have made a hot couple. Listen. I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, I think we both do. And then a follow-up comment is it's a it's an avenue that needs explored. Oh, that was from Demon Peaks, excuse me. But we, I agree to this a hundred percent. We talked about this obviously when they with their interactions. Um perhaps it was it was Audrey just being, you know, her confident self, but then you know, Bobby getting the adrenaline high off of those pheromones. But I loved it. They were they would have been hot together. I had commented that I love this take and I had actually just heard on Dark Peaks podcast, which is Demon Peaks and Goth Peaks, that uh, uh, Demon Peaks was saying that Audrey and Bobby are basically kind of similar characters. Like she's yeah. the bad girl, he's the bad boy, that kind of thing. Uh, and I I had kind of thought that I would maybe write down some thoughts about this and explore it a little further. But I, I was kind of hoping that Demon Peaks was going to weigh in since it was his theory. But I mean, I agree. I think it's definitely, like he says, an avenue that's worth exploring. But they do kind of have some similar sides to them. I mean, one of them is clearly smarter than the other one at this juncture <laughs> in their lives. But... <laughs> We but don't they, know which one's which. No, I'm just joking. Maybe. But I mean, <laughs> they clearly have some chemistry. I think it would have been interesting to see something between them. But I like I've always said, like, not before breaking things off with Shelly. Oh, for Bobby sure. has cheated yeah. on one too many women at this point. So um, even though Miss Shelbell did smoochy smooch Gordon. OK, but well, anyways, fair, I guess we won't fair, go there. Fair. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dracula slut. And uh, Demon Peaks, hit us up with more of the Audrey Bobby thoughts. Joda Sants, I believe is how you pronounce that, says, I still don't get the Wyndham Earl plot, uh, to which we responded, I think all that chess throws people for a loop. (laughs) Uh, There's some validity in this, though, because here's the thing. I don't think it's hard to realize that Wyndham is the villain and he's after Cooper and he's doing some really crazy shit. But then you do, and I think I've made this comment several times where I'm like, please just stop the chess stuff. I'm not mm. too, I'm not smart enough for that, okay? Mm. Like, yeah. I get what you're anticipating each other's moves. That's great. Can we leave it there? Like, I, I'm sorry, but king for space, asterisk, heart emoji. I don't know chess. So the, the like the the <laughs> overall metaphor for the back and forth between Cooper and Wyndham did get a little tired, like yes, a little overused. I, I, I agree, but I mean, I I, I encourage this listener slash Instagram friend to comment a little bit more. Like, which part don't you get about the Wyndham Earl plot? Does it just like 
are you not a fan of it? Does it get under your skin? Is there parts that like legitimately don't make sense to you? I would love to hear more. So, yeah. Yeah. Were you as confused about him being as a horse as I was the first time through? Let us know. Did you get lost in his theatrics? That would be fair. Uh, were you expecting a cake? But instead we got a paper mache um, dead guy. Did let's, you think he was going to pop it. out the top of it? <laughs> let's explore these things. Where did like he a get stripper. <laughs> but yeah. a dead man. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Cooper. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Cheers.missing says, we all know, great username, by the way. I love this. (laughs) We all know Mark and David especially never wanted Laura's case to be solved, but they managed to steer the audience away from the detective side of the show and into the sci-fi part, which we can all agree it's the most important fact. After all, Bob killed Laura, not her father. So getting to know that world whilst giving way for the masterful fire walk with me and return season two should get credit for bridging everything twin peaks Mm. stands for let's just yep i love it yeah very true i do especially love that you have said Bob killed Laura, not her father. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go into mm-hmm. it anymore, but I know we had some riveting discussions about. Well, listen to uh, our 100th episode. Yeah. Yes, I was Because we had a fantastic question about that, and I think we had a good discussion. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Thank you, chairs. Thank you to everyone that commented. This was yeah. all amazing feedback. And please, Joe DeSantis, I hope I'm saying that right. I, I would like to explore more of. What it, yeah. what about Wyndham Earl? Because I think it's fascinating to hear other people's point of view on specific plots and what they do or do not mean for yeah. them. So, yeah, exactly. Very good. Cool. Okay. Thank you, everyone who left a comment. Now we've got a couple of direct messages and an email to get to. So, this first one comes from Abby, friend and uh, obviously previous guest host of the show. So, uh, thoughts on season two. Although I know the quote-unquote popular supposition is that Lynch had very little to do with season two and that many of the characters and plot lines are a bit throwaway. I believe there is some strong evidence to prove otherwise, and it is connected by the focus on all the Shelleys. As I said on our discussion of season two, episode 14, I believe that this episode is important because it's the beginning of the really pervasive theme of the double and the doppelganger that carries on into the return. I also think that Lynch did truly love aspects of season two, specifically around the idea of the double, and Frost and Lynch very purposefully include both Percy, Shelley, and references to Mary Shelley multiple times in season two, Wyndham's poem, and the notion of the double through Wyndham's mirroring of Coop, and the fact that this is pointed to in the secret history on the mirror reflection theory of the Bookhouse Boys bookshelf, which spells out Beware the Double. Season two also points to just how important Shelley is, and she seems to have magical properties that ignite Gordon's hearing. Yes. This shows yeah. Lynch. That was me saying yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, yeah. This shows Lynch himself could be a big part behind the connections of Shelley, the poet, and Shelley Johnson. Again, I have to note the nods to Frankenstein written by Mary Shelley and the fact that this story itself is on loop with the question, who created the monster? It's also Mm -hmm. interesting to note that Mary Shelley was also overshadowed by her husband, 
regardless of the fact that her writing was proven to hold the test of time far more than any of his. So true. She lived in his shadow, and I don't think that it's a mistake to include a woman that wasn't revered in her life, but was seen as such a powerful force in death. <clears throat> Laura. <laughs> this is great, Abby. There's there's just so much to unpack here. I mean, I think we did talk a lot, or I think we did talk about a lot of these points in uh, the episode that you joined us for, but worth reiterating, especially because of one of our more recent discussions when we brought up this idea of the magic of Shelly Johnson and the fact that, yeah, it is just another Shelly. And I'm also thinking, too, now of just that moment in the library when Wyndham says the name Shelly to Audrey and something about how that one name sort of like broke a spell that was happening in that scene. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, for sure. I I do think that David Lynch and Mark Frost were pretty hands off at this point, but we do, we, and we talked about this too, the idea that like Harley Payton, Robert Engels, and I'm forgetting one other person, but they had been on the team since the beginning and they came in to write so many scripts. So you would hope that they were bringing some of Lynch and Frost's flavor to all of this, right? And that at least working alongside them had maybe helped them to bring similar themes, similar perspectives. Yeah, that influence. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great points, Abby. Thank you. All right. So next up, we have another message from Jeremiah from Take the Ring. You're probably all already following Take the Ring, but if you're not, you should definitely check him out. I mean, he's got some incredible Twin Peaks stuff. So season two has some weak spots, true, but context is everything in my opinion, meaning how many other shows from 1991 are people still watching or talking about? Very, very few. Yeah, that's right off the bat. That's an excellent point. Like... (laughs) Very, very few I mean, shows. Saved by the Bell. No, I'm oh, just Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing a lot of, like, deep no, dives into Saved no. by the Bell. <laughs> you are, he, yeah, no, he's absolutely right. I mean, no, there's not a four-hour video on YouTube on how we explain uh, <laughs> Saved by the Bell. No, so, really. No, I mean, gosh, he's, he's so right. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, so very, very few. So James and Evelyn is lame, yeah. But Wyndham Earl, Annie, the Black Lodge, it's all great stuff that expanded the mythology to the point that the return would have either not existed or would have been totally different. I even love the Diane Keaton episode. Okay, red flag. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Not that. Yes. (laughs) Just season. And Josie's ending in season two as some other highlights. And again, context. Season one is seven episodes after an amazing pilot movie and was designed to get a tight story to a season renewal. So, of course, it's better, quote unquote. Season two was, okay, you guys proved yourself. Now you got to go make a full 22 episode season. And by the way, you got to wrap up this murder and introduce some more elements that will actually turn this thing into a real show. And overall, they did a pretty good job. It just kind of fell apart for a bunch of different reasons. And some people, like me, think maybe that and the cliffhanger ending is why it stuck around in the hearts and minds so long. Maybe that's how it was supposed to be. That is kind of what I was feeling earlier when we did the section on what would you change. Like, really, I don't know that I would change anything because then it wouldn't be Twin Peaks anymore, right? No, absolutely. And... You got to think about, he's got some great points in there. Oh my God, some excellent points, yeah. Oh yeah, but especially about pressure from the the network to do the things that they didn't want to do for the show. 
um, like we've already talked about, they didn't really want to, you know, they they had so much more that they wanted to do with Laura's death, etc. That was like a, a what, I mean, would you call that like a mid-season midpoint or whatever? Mm, mm-hmm. And then a lot of people kind of give crap to the last part of it. But just like he says, you, you then you've got Wyndham, then you've got Annie, then you get the Lodge. And you're left with this amazing cliffhanger. And I I wholeheartedly agree that I, without a doubt, believe that is why people still talked about it and why I had the interest, not knowing that, full disclosure, but of even wanting to watch The Return uh, because there was so much Twin Peaks, like, resurfacing and so many people very excited about it. I wanted to know what this was, you know? So, yeah, like, and these are people that, I'm sure uh, more than half of them watch in real time and they're like, oh my gosh, okay, we're 25 years later and we're going back to Twin Peaks. I mean, can you imagine that feeling? I like, know. I wish I did. I wish I... Ugh, ugh. I know. I know. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeremiah. Those were excellent thoughts. Yeah. yeah. All right. So last up, we have an email from Agent Ivy, friend and previous co-host of the show, previous guest host, I should say. In my many rewatches, I have found season two laborious and boring at times. Of course, I love it all. But as we know with our beloveds, we can love them, but not always like them. The storylines got cartoonish and seemed to be aimless. The multiple writers, the different directors, it strayed from the stuff of Twin Peaks that I connect with. But as I have gone through the rewatch this time, episode by episode with your podcast, I have found myself paying attention to things with different perspective and enjoying season two more this time around. Your pod has absolutely cultivated a new appreciation for the characters and how they fit, even if awkwardly. Overall, though, I see the whole season as a lead up to the final three episodes, which I wait for every time. For me, they are transportive. And of course, knowing the return is coming, they are foundational. I love it all. Ivy, that's really sweet. First of all, we got our subway napkins. That was so sweet. That was really sweet. Thank you. I really appreciate that. We really appreciate that. We appreciate it. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know about you, Jasmine, but I'm just an old country bumpkin. Okay. From rural Georgia. (laughs) And the fact that y'all even want to listen to me talk about something so conceptually like beautiful as Twin Peaks. Mm. When I grew up stepping in cow shit every day of my life really gives me, it makes my my little heart tingles, so thank you so much. <laughs> totally. Like, that is so sweet. Like, it's yeah. just so sweet to hear people say, like, oh, but you made a middle point that I didn't think about before that maybe gave me a fondness that wasn't there before. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, just an old simple country gal that's trying to figure out Twin Peaks like the rest of y'all. Like, it It is so sweet, and I'm really honored and touched to have people say that because... I've said that to podcast hosts before, so I know that it comes, I mean, it, at least I think it comes from a genuine place where genuine. you're like, yeah, where yeah. you're like, oh, actually you, I mean, I think about a podcast like Diane that I've already said has changed my experience with Twin Peaks and will forever sort of be intertwined with it. So it's cool to know that we're playing even a small role in people's Twin yes. Peaks journey. Like, and to just, I mean- Sometimes I think about the show after we're done, and it's like no matter how many notes I've written about the episode, so much of what happens between us I couldn't plan for because we end up having these conversations that I just couldn't have anticipated. A lot of it is not like we don't plan a lot of those things. Yeah, we write our notes, but we're not like 
We're not like, okay, so how do we get people to see the show differently today? Like yeah. it's not a plan and it's an experience for, I mean, I think both of us too, where we get to see the yeah. show in a different way. So it's cool to have people along for that ride. Oh my gosh. So true. Oh, okay. There was, that was a little love fest. So <laughs> <laughs> it's very humbling though. Like I said before, so Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ivy. Thank you, everyone who sent in comments or messages or whatever. It's really cool to have you be part of this episode. I love that. I love the collaboration that was just so much of this episode. (laughs) Well, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad we decided to do a recap episode. Good, yeah. Good decision, Instagram followers. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for voting thanks and for getting us to do us this in the right yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah. We needed it. We can always we trust it. you guys. But yeah, so that's that's it for season two. Where did the last six months go? What is time in Twin Peaks season two? <sighs> what is time? <laughs> so if you enjoyed this episode, oh. we would love for you to come and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. You know what I say. We love five stars, but we'll take as many as you have in your pocket today. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Uh, Also, if you would like to follow us on social, we are at TV on Instagram. Also, oh, this is Red Flag City. I don't Uh get on Twitter that much, Mm -mm. so I don't even think I know our handle on Twitter. It's just at TV. (laughs) I thought so. Okay, so TV on Twitter also. Uh, But mainly we're on Instagram. Um, You can find me personally at Superficial Mel's. And you can find me at DamnFineWitch. We've also got a Patreon kicking. We did mention it earlier in the episode, but... As of this episode, we will have a couple of bonus video casts, like uh, talking about other co- like other TV shows, but also a few videos of our Twin Peaks podcasts. Uh, we have Hangouts. I don't know. We're doing a lot of fun stuff. We've got a Discord channel where we chat with people about a lot of different subjects. So, I mean, all TV, but like different facets of TV. But yeah, that's a yeah. good time. So, patreon.com slash TV if you're interested. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, if that's all for this season, we've got to practice walking backwards for our next episode. Yes, be sure to join us then as we rewind time for Fire Walk With Me. (laughs) Have you ever eaten moldy chocolate? The tardigrade? I'm Jasmine. Swear on Satan, I'll do that. That's my headcanon. Okay, into it, into it, into it, into it, all of it. I'm Mel's. I love it. Dumb, 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 dumb. (laughs) Wait a minute. And if you're watching TV, I love it. Make sure it's damn fine TV. This is amazing. That's, that was awesome. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs>